The woman in the dock sat motionless, her hands clasped in her lap, her shoulders braced against the hostile glares from the gallery behind her. Her name was Alice Mitchell. It was late in the afternoon of Saturday, 13th of April, 1907. Alice, like everyone else in courtroom two of Perth Supreme Court, was waiting for the jury to deliver its verdict on the charge of willful murder. At this hour, most Perth citizens will be eating dinner, but the public gallery above and behind the prisoner's dock was crammed with people keen to hear whether Alice will be found guilty of the murder of baby Ethel Booth. During the preliminary coroner's inquest into Ethel's death, they had heard that over the past six years, no less than 37 infants had died in Alice Mitchell's care, perhaps even more. The jury at the inquest concluded that Ethel Booth had died as a result of willful starvation. That verdict sent Alice to the Supreme Court to be tried for her murder. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hello and welcome back to the Good Reading Podcast. I'm Max Lewis and today we're joined by Stella Budrikis talking about her new book, The Edward Street Baby Farm, which takes an in-depth look at the trial of infamous baby farmer Alice Mitchell in Perth, 1907. Stella, thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to be here, Max. So how did you initially come across the story of Alice Mitchell and her alleged baby farm and what inspired you to then write a book about it? In 2017, I just finished writing a book about my great-great-grandmother who was born in Adelaide. She became a single mother when she was 19. She married the father of the child and had another child and went back to England with him when his English army regiment went back to England, but left the first child behind. So I'd been trying to find out what happened to that child and what happened to children of single mothers generally. Mm. In that process, I came across the word baby farming which wasn't actually relevant in her case. She appears to have left the child with someone known to her. But I was curious about this baby farming. And so after I'd finished the book, I Googled baby farming in Australia. And almost the first story that came up was the Alice Mitchell trial in 1907. So I was curious about it. I started reading about it. I was surprised that I hadn't come across Mm. it before because it was such a major trial, created a great sensation in Perth at the time. Yeah, I'd heard about the um, similar case you mentioned in the book that happened in, uh, I believe, in Newtown or McDonaldtown uh, in, in Sydney, New South Wales. Uh, I'd heard of that case, but I had not heard of the Alice Mitchell case, which seemed, seemed to be quite a bit more uh, scandalous in the time. Yeah, that was one of the most famous cases, and that couple, the husband was hanged. Mm, yeah. And for those not aware of the term baby farming, which, as you said, it's not a commonly known thing nowadays, how common was it in 19th, 20th century Australia where uh, this book takes place? Women taking in children for single mothers was fairly common. I mean, in the time that Alice Mitchell was working, there were several women in Perth registered to take in children, and they um, were paid for fostering children. But they weren't considered baby farmers because they actually took good care care of Mm. the children. The the term baby farming was more a derogatory derogatory term for people who had no concern for the children's welfare. They were in it just for the profit they could Mm. make. 
I mean, there was the high rate of illegitimate births and the high death rate generally amongst illegitimate children at the time, which meant that although the death rate in Alice Mitchell's children's case was high, it wasn't as high as we would imagine it to be. I mean, if she'd lost half the children, probably nobody would have noticed. Do you think that maybe explains how she, for lack of a better phrase, got away with it for so long, that it kind of blended in with the genuine death rate of of infants that was happening at the time? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And she passed the children off after they died to several different undertakers, so they weren't keeping tally of how many bodies they were receiving. Yeah. She had several doctors visiting the children, uh, apart from Dr. Officer, who in the end certified at least half the deaths, which is why his role was questioned. Yeah, she didn't didn't do anything illegal apart from not keeping very good records, not reporting to the coroner. At the um, at trial, the jury actually questioned, well, you know, our children get sick as well and they've died. Why is this different? So it's one of those things where it's hard to determine, especially after so many years, whether it was just negligence and ignorance or whether it was something more malicious at play. Yeah, by the end of the book, I still haven't decided. I feel like that'll probably be most people's uh, perception at the end of the case. It's just a big, I don't know, I can't Mm. tell. Mm. Mm. The Edward Street Baby Farm, it appears to be quite a bit larger in scope than the previous book that you mentioned, Susan, that you're looking at court documents and newspapers and all of those kinds of things. What challenges did you face while you were researching for this book? Well, the newspapers, even then, newspapers didn't always print exactly what was correct. So I had to cross-reference one newspaper with another to make sure it was accurate. I I was new to um, researching state records office so I was quite surprised at times how much information was sometimes bundled up together under one label I hadn't expected to find which was a a Mm. blessing really. I was concerned when I first started writing that I was delving into somebody else's family history so to speak. I wasn't quite sure about the ethics of that. Yeah do you know if many of Alice Mitchell's surviving relatives if they're still around in Australia if they're prominent enough that you could potentially get into trouble? I don't know of any prominent ones. I did have some contact with one of her descendants who was very cool, very helpful. On that note, the book, as we said, does deal with a rather substantial loss of young life, the details of which are quite confronting to read in the book. How did you get through delving into those more morbid and upsetting aspects of the case? It's interesting. I was quite surprised when I got to the end of the book and started thinking about what I'd just been reading and writing that I wasn't more distressed by it. Mm. But I think my main focus when I was writing was on the the adults involved and their backgrounds and their characters and so on, because a lot of the material came from court records and newspaper reports of the court records. They tended to be fairly dispassionate, even though the newspapers were splashing up headlines about horror stories. Mm. And I guess my medical background inured me a bit to some of the details. Yeah, that actually brings me to my next question, which was you have a background in medicine, having formerly worked as a doctor. How did that medical experience of yours assist in researching and writing about the more medical aspects of the case, such as the conduct of Dr. Officer? It was helpful in in reading the details that I understood what was being said and what was being discussed in the court by the medical profession. I was surprised at how little doctor officer was actually questioned about his conduct. 
Mm. He did get a reprimand at the end, but that was about the only penalty that he paid. I was surprised when I was doing the research just how primitive health conditions were in Perth at the time. And there was only one hospital, no children's hospital. Conditions like typhoid and smallpox and even bubonic plague were still having um, epidemics every so often. Yeah, there were some very uh, eye-opening practices that you talk about in the book, such as giving newborn babies brandy and stuff like that to settle their stomachs or to calm them down. That seemed kind of primitive and shocking by today's medical standards. It was a time when the medical profession was just starting to take a scientific approach to things Mm. and it took a while for the general population to catch up with that as well. The case and Alice Mitchell's trial were very unprecedented for Perth in many ways. I wanted to talk about what some of the outcomes and impacts that it were on rules and regulations and things like that. What kind of impact did the case have on Western Australia or Perth to be more specific? Well, there was such a public outcry as a result of the trial that there was a huge public meeting just after the trial finished and people demanded that the government do something about it, Mm. about whether the government should set up its own um, childcare facility or whether the churches should continue to have their own orphanages and so on. There wasn't any great consensus at the meeting itself, but the government did within a very short space of time send people to the eastern states to see what was happening there and then pass legislation regulating infant health child welfare under the children's protection act which put an end to the sort of thing that was happening with alice mitchell although it has to be said there were already quite rigorous rules that if they'd been applied to alice mitchell would have prevented what had happened the um, government tightened that up brought in new regulations introduced the children's court and I think that legislation went through right to the 1830s. I mean, 1930s before that was modified. At the end of the book, you bring up one of the reasons that kind of spurred you to write the book, which was, uh, and I'm quoting from the book directly here, parallels between what happened to babies labelled illegitimate and other people labelled illegal throughout history. I was kind of wondering if you could elaborate on that point a bit, because it's quite interesting, that parallel between then and now. I hadn't thought about it as I was writing it. It was as I was reading through it and editing it that it came to me that there were those parallels. I mean, even within the book, we have the lock hospitals for Aboriginal people up in the northwest, all sorts of people through history who've been excluded from society, labelled illegally in some way, who then face persecution, mishandling, mistreatment. And within our own time, we've got illegal immigrants, so-called, who've been hidden away on islands and although we're vaguely aware of what's happening, we're not as aware as we should be. Edward Street Baby Farm is your first foray into true crime, I Mm. guess. Do you have plans to focus more on other Australian or Western Australian true crime in the future? To be honest, I didn't think of it as true crime as I was reading. I think it Mm. sounds strange, but I was so focused on the... um, biographies of the people involved and the way that they interacted that I hadn't thought of it as true crime. It is much more personally in-depth than a true crime novel. I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah. I think my next book will probably still be something on West Australian history, just given the restrictions we've got travelling at the moment. Any hints on what it might be focusing on, what part of Australian history it could be looking at? I'm looking at the 1890s and all the developments that happened in that era. Uh, I won't say much more than... Okay, yeah. 
Well, that promises to be very interesting. Well, Stella, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Max.